episode 392 at the Bowery Boys. The Bowery Boys 15th anniversary special. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. Hi there, welcome to the Bowery Boys 15th anniversary special. This is Greg Young. Actually, since this is a special occasion today, this is Gregory Young. (laughs) Oh, well, fancy pants. And I'm Thomas Myers. And on today's show, we are celebrating the 15th anniversary of the recording of our very first episode of the Bowery Boys podcast. We're having our own podcast gala to mark the occasion and wear our very best post-pandemic formal wear. Yes, I'm wearing a t-shirt of somebody wearing formal wear. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a, on a day with a high of 90 degrees, that's as far as I'm willing to go right now. Uh, yeah, and I'm dressed as Robert Moses on his way to the beach. <laughs> Jones Beach, I hope. <laughs> it's, it's very immersive over here. <laughs> um, but yes, we are here to celebrate that first recording session that we made in late June 2007. Cue the flashback harp strings. Let's dust off our origin story, Greg. Oh, yes. It's, a, it's an oldie, but a goodie. And we've told the story of how we got started a few times on this podcast and even at live events. But one evening in late June, on the Lower East Side, I brought my brand new Apple MacBook you know, the one with the white lacquered surface that looks a little bit like a Fisher-Price toy? Remember mm-hmm, those? Mm-hmm. I brought that over to Tom's apartment so that we could play around with this new program that I had discovered on the computer called GarageBand. Yeah, we both had radio backgrounds, amateur radio backgrounds, but we knew we wanted to do some sort of radio show. And Greg's computer which now in 2007 had a button you could click to subscribe to something called podcasts. I'm honestly trying to remember if I even listened to podcasts before we made one, right? Isn't it possible (laughs) that we didn't even know? Podcasts were really only invented like a couple years before, and Apple hosted them as a way to lure people onto their iTunes store to buy and download music, which Mm -hmm. you would then upload then on your iPod device, Mm -hmm. uploaded by a cord which you plugged into your computer. It's really like you're describing (laughs) some obscure antique at this point. You know, like it's, I mean, this iPod had a little spinning wheel. Correct me if I'm wrong, but later you could spin it just by tracing your finger over it. Remember? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was like, you know, the Telegraph or something. (laughs) Or Victrola. But this really existed. And I was living on Canal and Essex. So we just looked out the window and decided to record a show about the subject that was closest to us at that moment like literally the closest to Mm -hmm. us at that moment, which was Canal Street. And so that first episode, recorded on June 19th, 2007, wasn't even called The Bowery Boys. Um, Mm -hmm. That name came with the next episode. The original name was actually called New York Cast. Not not (laughs) the most memorable name. A really not a memorable show, Mm -hmm. honestly. It was about like 10 minutes and... 
if I remember, like extremely uninformative about <laughs> Canal Street. Uh, but over the next 15 years, I would say that we have improved producing over 391 episodes, mm. plus various spinoffs and bonus podcasts and many, many live shows and appearances. And yep. there was even a book. That's right. That's The Bowery Boys Adventures in Old New York. Ask for it at your local bookstore, <laughs> yes. please. Um, but yes, so we have much to celebrate today. And we ask those who support the show on Patreon.com to submit questions to us. Mm -hmm. You know, anything that they wanted to know, anything at all. And, and boy, did they deliver by emails, by voicemails, by carrier pigeon. Yes, this is an Ask the Bowery Boys Anything type of a show. And we're going to open those questions and play the voicemails in just a few minutes. Uh, but Tom, I wanted to go back, actually. Can we return to that origin date of that first show? When was that again? Uh, we recorded that episode one on Tuesday, June 19th, 2007. Mm, yes, a Tuesday even. That sounds so long ago, quite honestly. And I want to ask the listener, if you're listening in right now, do you know what you were doing on June 19th, 2007, on that specific day, or at least do you remember what your life was like, at least, in the early summer of 2007? Well, to jog your memory, and quite frankly, to jog our memories, because they need a little jogging, <laughs> we're going to do a little mini episode here on the year 2007. In other words, we are going to situate the creation of our podcast within the world it was created in. Wow, this is a situate quite unlike any other we've ever done on the show mm -hmm. before. And either this is very meta or very vain um, and self-indulgent. <laughs> but let's, yes. let's just start broadly here. Mm -hmm. What, Greg, was the country like in June 2007? Well, the biggest story, as some may remember, was probably the Iraq War, which was weighing heavily on the country and the world you know, many years in at this time. George W. Bush was in the latter half of his second term, but the country was already ramping up for the 2008 presidential election by this point. There had been two Democratic debates featuring candidates Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, John Edwards, and Barack Obama, and also two Republican debates with their leading presidential candidates, Rudy Giuliani, Mitt Romney, and John McCain. Meanwhile, Donald Trump had just wrapped up his fourth season of The Apprentice in Los Angeles and was really tied up in some financial problems that were going on at his casinos down in Atlantic City. And of course, while many outside the financial sector, like us, we're unaware, the country was headed toward a recession. We're really starting with the fun stuff first, Greg. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> yes, sure, sure. You said we were headed for a recession. I think the word was careening towards mm -hmm. a re recession. And I mean, honestly, somehow nearly everything you just said gives me a touch of heartburn. But was there anything fun nationally taking place in the, in the month of June 2007 that we should be talking about here? 
Well, just a few days after we recorded our first podcast on June 29th, 2007, Apple begins selling its very first iPhones, a 4 gig and an 8 gig. Okay, so today (laughs) they don't even make phones less than 64 gig, just to give you a comparison. I think that the Instagram app would basically like melt down one of those original (laughs) uh (laughs) iPhones. But so that means, though, that when we released our very first episode, literally nobody had an iPhone. No. You know, they had been announced at a fancy event that January, so they weren't just sprung on the world, but they advertised like crazy for months, and then they would finally go on sale in June. So that meant that up until this point, anybody walking around listening to podcasts or walking around listening to music had a phone in their pocket, probably, plus an iPod or some other kind of music device. Meaning, and I remember this, that (laughs) pockets were crammed full. I mean, you walked around like you had to have baggy pants to fit all that stuff in your pocket. (laughs) Yes, uh, thank you, Apple, for emptying out our pockets, I suppose. Literally, my pockets <laughs> yes. have been empty ever since. Okay, so so other than gearing up for buying a new iPhone, what else was happening in New York that summer? Well, last night, I spent a few fascinating hours flipping through the daily news editions of June 19th and June 20th, 2007. A couple local items jumped out at me. Uh, Let's start with Mayor Bloomberg, shall we? Mm, mm -hmm. At this point, I think, in his second term. That's correct, yes. The mayor was touring the country talking about nonpartisanship leadership to groups at that time in California that included a group of Google employees. Angelica Houston was there. (laughs) Um, And in his June 19th story in the Daily News, He was still insisting that he wasn't going to run for president in 2008. But in the very next day's paper on June 20th, it announced that he had actually bolted from the GOP and proclaimed himself an independent. So that actually took place. That happened the day that we recorded our first show. Yeah, I feel like I remember a lot of buzz about the possibility of him getting into the presidential race, you know, for 2008. Right, because he was a popular mayor. And he was also in the second term, and he, you know, couldn't run again for mayor in 2009. Oh, couldn't he? (laughs) Little did we know uh, at the time that the very next year in 2008, city council would extend the term limit to three terms, which allowed Bloomberg to run again in 2009, and of course, to win. And these newspapers on these days were also filled related articles about the mayor's congestion pricing plan that he had just introduced, which would have charged drivers $8 to drive south of 86th Street. Aren't we still talking about this today? (laughs) Am I misremembering? Did it not get enough support then? Well, listen, Governor Elliot Spitzer was all for it. And it was, the paper mentioned that it was endorsed by city council speaker Christine Quinn. In fact, the only official who who had come out against it seemed to have been Representative Anthony Weiner. Although it is now, believe it or not, slated to go into effect in March of 2023. But, you know, we'll see. So we're still waiting on that one. It's too bad because it's 15 years when all that money could have been 
you know, could have been really helpful to channel that into public transit, which, by the way, in 2007, same year, rolled out a few real-time arrival boards. Remember that? That's when those started popping up. And they also broke ground on the 2nd Avenue subway. For the second time. And of course, (laughs) it would take, you know, over a decade, right, for that to finally open. It takes a long time to build a subway tunnel. It that's right. turns out. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. The first section would open a decade later in 2017. But let us turn to something more entertaining. Greg, I want to ask you, because I know you love this sort of thing. What yes. was the number one song in the country on June 19th, 2007? What, what would we have been listening to perhaps almost immediately after we recorded the show for a sort of celebratory cocktail? Yes. Yeah, Tom, put yourself back in our shoes then. It was a very clear evening, I believe, with beautiful weather, but we still would have needed an umbrella. That's huge. I'm so glad that you somehow managed to connect Rihanna. Yes, Rihanna gave our podcast its birth song. And really, the only reason that we can use this and that this song is fair use for this podcast today is because (laughs) it was the number one song. In fact, use it again. Anyway, would you like to know what the big movie was? That month, please, June 2007, please. it's not as exciting, I must say. The top three movies were Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, followed by Ocean's 13, and then the Seth Rogen comedy, Knocked Up. Hmm. Okay, but that is to say that a Marvel superhero movie was in the number one spot. I mean, some things never change. <laughs> An auger of things to come, apparently. I did want to add that the final episode of The Sopranos aired on June 10th, 2007, so a little over a week before we recorded our show. Do you remember that finale at all? Do you remember the diner and the ambiguous ending? Controversial. And the journey? Just a small town girl living in a lonely world. Really, I mean, an iconic TV moment. Uh, and spoofed widely, including the day that we recorded on the 19th by Hillary and Bill Clinton, who released their very own mock Sopranos uh, video (laughs) filmed in a diner in a sort of early attempt to go viral and help her candidacy. Going viral 2007 style, whatever that (laughs) meant back then. (laughs) It was huge on Friendster. (laughs) Well, we were pretty busy back in 2007 and poor and didn't often get to the theater. Mm -hmm. Um, But what was playing on Broadway back then? What were the hot shows? Well, let's talk Tony winners, okay? Because the award show had just been presented at Radio City just nine days before we recorded the show. So the big winners for that 2006-2007 season were Spring Awakening and The Coast of Utopia. And Christine Ebersole won for her performance as Little Edie in Grey Gardens. Wait, which I would then later do a podcast on. Exactly. On Grey Gardens. Wow. Yeah. And I can't help note that she nudged out fellow nominees Audra McDonald, Deborah Monk, and Donna Murphy for her win, or as I like to call them, 
Peggy's mom, Mrs. Armstrong, and Caroline Astor. Wow, it's like a it's like a, a gaggle of Gilded Age gals <laughs> there. All of them the winners. Show. Yes, all of them all winners. Of the winners. Yes. And Legally Blonde had just opened two months before on Broadway. And um, speaking of blondes mm-hmm. or nightlife, oh, that's a rough transition. Uh, but <laughs> Zagatz was in the Daily News on the 19th of June because they had just released their nightlife guide, now with a new category for top rooftop bars in the city. Remember, that was a whole new thing. Uh, but, but the top-rated night spots in town were... Um, the Torch of the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> no. In your guide. In, in your... my guide, it would be. <laughs> no. Uh, actually, the winner was old-time favorite Pastis in the, in the Meatpacking oh. District, followed by Buddha Bar, Balthazar, and Spice Market. Wow, you say all those at once, and it really does put you back in that era, doesn't it? <laughs> or inside like a Sex in the City episode. Yeah. <laughs> Not included in this list of top restaurants in the city in 2007, the KFC Taco Bell restaurant at West 4th and 6th Avenue, which in February 2007 was visited by an extended family reunion of rats. Gothamist <laughs> quoted a reporter stating, quote, One of the rats actually climbed up on the counter, then onto stools that were turned upside down, and dangled from the stool's chair like a gymnast. (laughs) (laughs) You remember Um, that. I mean, tell me, you've got to remember that. I might have ordered a nachos bel grande (laughs) from them on that particular day, actually. Yeah, when you're coming out of the subway station, you know, right there on on West 4th. That's quite a chalupa, Tom. (laughs) But... In the past 15 years, seriously, taking a serious voice now, we've mm-hmm. actually lost many New York uh, landmarks, institutions, you know, places that we all had relationships with. For instance, Girdle's Bakery mm. on the Lower East Side, right around the corner from where we recorded our show, actually closed in 2007. Mm-hmm. More notably, perhaps, to the whole city was Shea Stadium came down in 2009 and was replaced by City Field. And of course, Old Yankee Stadium also came down in 2010 and then was replaced with a new stadium. Historic St. Vincent's Hospital, very, very historic place, in the West Village was torn down in 2013 and replaced, like so many things, with luxury condos. As was Five Points, the graffiti art space in Long Island City, which I referenced in my old show on Subway Graffiti uh, many years ago. I would say that Long Island City in particular is practically unrecognizable today yeah. uh, from what it was back in 2007. And, uh, and we have a show on that, too. But of course, that's not the only area that has seen this churn of rapid development in the past mm-hmm. 15 years. The area around the Gowanus Canal is probably one of the most transformed areas in the past 15 years. I mean, if Mm -hmm. you told me there'd be like a luxury condo and a Whole Foods around (laughs) this like truly polluted body of water back in 2007, uh, I would have said you were crazy. But there it is. Other things that have disappeared... The Domino Sugar Factory in Williamsburg, the Roxy Nightclub in Chelsea, Mm. and the Roseland Ballroom in Midtown. They are all memories now. Elaine's Restaurant on the Mm. Upper East Side Mm -hmm. and the Mars Bar in the East Village. 
uh, historic old Admiral's Row over at the Brooklyn Navy Yard. And the Four Seasons in Midtown. And sadly, we have to now add the Hotel Pennsylvania, which we just did a show on last year. They are in the process right now of dismantling it. Then there is the curious case of the Chelsea Hotel, which was another subject of a major show of ours, which has not been demolished, but it has been closed for a long time, since 2011, to all but longtime tenants. But there are also quite a few things that have gone up since 2007, some of which mm-hmm. we you know, now take for granted, like, for example, the High Line. The, the first section from Gansevoort up to 20th Street wouldn't open until 2009. And then, you know, forget about Hudson Yards, of course, which opened a decade after the High Line in 2019. So that's like just sprung <laughs> up out of nowhere, you know, looking at it from the perspective of 2007. Truly. Or what about all of the super tall skyscrapers? I mean, they hadn't yet, you know, sprouted up in Midtown in 2007. They weren't there. Like many of them weren't even considered. They were. They Conceived. were just. Or yes, they were thoughts. Not even thoughts in 2007. And finally, there's the Barclay Center in Brooklyn, which opened in 2012 and is about to celebrate its 10th anniversary. But that's the context for the world which surrounded us on that June evening in 2007. But Tom, who were we? back then, right? Like, what what were you doing at that time? We've talked about this event, but who actually were we as people back in 2007? What were you doing at the time? Where were you at? Well, I was spending my days as the editor of Eurocheapo.com and traveling quite often to Europe to inspect hotels, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hotels. You know, and I would continue to do that for many years until the Bowery Boys became a real business. And it seems that every time I actually did go on one of my hotel trips, you would record a few solo shows. Yeah, there's a lot of varying quality, some better than others. <laughs> oh, like they're a, great. Well, you know, like Henry Ward Beecher was one of my favorites. The Mark Twain in New York mm. um, was another solo show that I enjoyed. Yeah, and and actually on those early shows, you can still hear the Euro Cheapo ad in, mm-hmm. in many of them at the beginning, now with hotels in New York City. And that was, of course, the voice of my sister. Yeah, my old college roommate, which is how we know each other in the first place, Elizabeth. Yes, she was staying with me and we forced her to record an ad. <laughs> and I was living alone in my apartment at the time. Although I had just met a French guy the year before in 2006 who was finishing up his studies in Boston. And so the first year and a half that we were recording our show, I would be reading history books on the Fung Wa bus and the Lucky Star bus going back and forth to Boston every other week for $15. Oh, wow. Those were something else, right? Those conveyances to Boston. But well, that Frenchman, by the way, would actually move to your place a year later. Yes. And then later... Marriage, which was completely unheard of in yes. 2007. And, and then, of course, kids. <laughs> that Definitely, yes. <laughs> well, meanwhile, I was living just a few blocks away from you mm-hmm. on East Broadway on a block that contained a bunch of old synagogues and very, very old tenements. Okay, mm-hmm. I lived in one. I had a railroad apartment 
which had a lot of room. It was pretty big, mm-hmm. but the building was like a total dump. So I'm not going to give the address <laughs> to shame the landlord. In fact, the pipes from upstairs ugh, frequently <laughs> burst through the kitchen ceiling. And, you know, that's where the bathroom was. So, and on more than one occasion, furniture in my apartment was destroyed. I couldn't even have a kitchen table because it was, like, what was the point? Was this going to be destroyed? (laughs) Then there was the time that the radiator blew and turned the whole place into a tropical rainforest. It would have destroyed my bookshelves had I not had so many books that they were packed in so tightly that many of the books survived this moisture attack. (laughs) It was moist in there, wasn't it? It was like a steam room in your apartment. I remember we recorded, what was it? Did we do Rockefeller Center? In, do you remember this in your apartment? And um, Greg had kind of a stage. You had a big apartment. I mean, you had a stage. You had an area for performance. Yeah. And and so we we did record some shows over on that stage in front of a, an audience of none, uh, but it was steamy. That's what I remember. Yeah, but like I had turntables because I was a DJ. Well, like oh, a lot right, of my yeah. records were destroyed. Well, anyway. And the whole time you were still working in the music industry. For many years after this, actually, um, I was moonlighting as a Bowery boy, but I worked in Midtown next door to Trump Tower, actually, uh, mm-hmm. for over a decade. But before taking up podcasting as my creative work, I actually had other little fun things that I did. Like I wrote a novel, mm-hmm. which never got published. That's which a is good okay. one, though. It's good. But I had a few screenplays even, including one that was actually good. Several that were good. But if I recall, none of them were actually about New York City history. No, the, actually the good one. It's a horror movie about the Shroud of Turin, mm-hmm. like set in the 15th century. I can't remember exactly. But you know, just in case you want to know one inspiration for our annual Ghost Stories podcasts, you know, I am an enthusiast of history and horror stories. But our lives changed on that June 2007 night. And here we find ourselves a decade and a half later with 391 episodes under our belts. And an ever-increasing appreciation for this wonderful city, uh, which we are just humbled and honored to continue to share with listeners from around the world. We're so blessed to have people who tune in to every episode for 15 years. Mm -hmm. And so after the break, we'll hear from a few of those listeners. Last week, we asked those who support the podcast on patreon.com to send in questions about us and about the show. We received an avalanche of mail, or emails and voicemails, and we will work our way through some of our favorite questions right after this. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC, hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today 
In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. In the decades before the Civil War, slavery's grip on America tightened. But soon, a diverse group of abolitionists, both black and white, began to construct a clandestine path to freedom for the enslaved. Hosted by Lindsey Graham, Wondry's podcast, American History Tellers, takes you to the events, times, and people that shaped America and Americans, our values, our struggles, and our dreams. In the latest series, American History Tellers explores the Underground Railroad, a covert network of secret routes and safe houses operated by men and women committed to helping enslaved people escape bondage in the South. Fugitive slaves and anyone helping them face terrible violence and even death if caught. But for those brave enough to risk the journey, the Underground Railroad offered a path to the northern states in Canada, where their freedom was assured. Follow American History Tellers on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge this season's American History Tellers, The Underground Railroad, early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. The Bowery Boys podcast is brought to you by For the Ages. The New York Historical Society produces a must-listen-to podcast exploring the rich and complex history of the United States. Host David M. Rubenstein engages the nation's foremost historians and creative thinkers in conversation on a wide range of topics, including presidential biography, the nation's founding, and the people who have shaped the American story. This month's interviews include a discussion about Jimmy Carter, who was cool while he was in office, then the Democratic Party turned on him. What happened? There are so many questions that are answered in this interview with Jonathan Alter, author of his very best, Jimmy Carter, A Life. Next, visit November 1943, when FDR, Churchill, and Stalin met in secret for the first time to chart a strategy for defeating Hitler. There, they made essential decisions that would direct the final years of the war and its aftermath. Three Days at the Brink, FDR's daring gamble to win World War II, is an interview with author Brett Baer, where you'll learn about these three men and their alliance. Finally, the tables are turned when David Rubenstein is interviewed about his book, How to Lead, Wisdom from the World's Greatest CEOs, Founders, and Game Changers and you'll find out which historical figures he would have liked to interview. That's the podcast for the ages, available on Apple and Spotify. Tom, I think it's time to dig into the mailbag. In fact, let's start by listening to a voicemail from the mailbag. Oh, voicemail. Hi, Tom. Hi, Greg. This is John. And Courtney calling in from Park Slope. Congrats on 15 years. We're huge fans and avid listeners. You get to go back and spend one day at any point in New York City history. Where would you go? 
what would you do and why? Thank you, John and Courtney. And we had similar questions with similar themes, also posed by Barbara C. from Kew Gardens and Stephen in Yonkers. So, Tom, how would you answer that? Whoa, I mean, so many possibilities. The things that jumped right out to me, the events would be perhaps, you know, attending Washington's inauguration in 1789. That would be kind of amazing to see everybody gathered around, all the founding fathers, to attend that first service up at, you know, St. Paul's. I have said in the past when people have asked um, that I'd like to witness the Roaring Twenties, so the, the mm-hmm. flashing forward, taking part in Jazz Age New York and the Harlem Renaissance. I also feel like I need to spend time in the Gilded Age, maybe actually witnessing Alva Vanderbilt's ball <laughs> on March 26, 1883, and see Alva and Caroline and Richard Morris Hunt and... Maybe go there and, or work there, maybe? Well, it would definitely feel like work. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's too close. But my real answer, Greg, that, uh-huh. that was a prelude. My real answer oh. is I think I would want to be there for the opening of the Erie Canal um, on October 25th, 1825. I mean, that was just such a transformative moment for New York, you know, it, really making it the most important port city in the nation, Uh, linking Mm -hmm. New York to Lake Erie under the leadership of Governor DeWitt Clinton. I mean, I think I would want to see New York go from pre-Erie Canal to then this bustling, energized, booming city. And you? What about you? You know, I wouldn't mind going back to George Washington's inauguration or that period, of course, you know, collecting up some of those founding fathers and asking them like what they specifically meant about certain things that they wrote in the Constitution. Anyway, I think I would also like to return to New York in August of 1858, another party, the party for the opening of the Atlantic cable okay Mm. so we have we have a a show on that and it is legendarily known as one of the biggest parties ever thrown in new york in fact it was so raucous that they shot off fireworks and almost burnt down city hall so you know i would love to see like an old new york in kind of a celebratory mood to see kind of how how dangerous that was, but also just to see something so jubilant in the city. My second answer to that is I would actually like to go back to New York in the mid-1990s. Oh, like when we had when we just were arrived? There. Right, yeah. because I would like to go back and see if the city that I remember is actually the one that existed, mm. you know, like devoid of the romance that I give it now and the twisting of memory that happens sometimes, to see that as it was and compare it to now. Think of all the diners we ate in. Think of all the bad coffee we drank. And we didn't even we didn't even know it was bad coffee. Yeah, there was a ton of bad coffee. I don't think people realize how much coffee has improved. Of course, you could get it for 50 cents, but you know, anyway, moving on. It almost seems like a topic we should cover. <laughs> yeah, let's move on to the next question. Yes, here's an email from Todd in Astoria. Actually, this is a two-part question, but I thought that we could answer both of these. First one, who performs the jazzy opening and closing music for the shows? And where is your favorite place to do historical research, meaning books and archives? 
Um, I'll answer the first one. <laughs> that because we told you the story about GarageBand. Well, indeed, that music is a royalty-free loop that we got that night in June from GarageBand, and we have talked about replacing it, having people, you know, having it re-recorded maybe, but every time we've mentioned we're going to get rid of it, people get angry. So it's it's with us. We're married to it. Um, we wish that we could say that it was written just for us, but actually, sometimes I'm actually like watching a YouTube video or something, and they play the same, <laughs> you know, the creator has chosen the same thing, and I'm like, uh, I start to sweat. Yeah, you'll hear it often on a late night commercial or something. Yeah, really late. And then the second part, where do we do, where's our favorite place to do research? My favorite spot is, and I hope I'm not stealing your selection, Greg, Mm -hmm. your answer is the New York Society Library on East 79th Street. Um, It has great stacks. You know, you can actually browse browse yourself on like eight or is it nine levels you know you have to hit the buttons to turn the lights on and and they go off on you and you're stuck in the dark with thousands of books around you plus there there are these cool little study areas and little reading nooks Mm -hmm. that i sometimes do work in it just puts me in the mood what about you well, I, I go there also, you know, I'm, of course, addicted to the Brooklyn Public Library and the New York Public Library, but I would say one of my favorite places to do research is at home, because oh. we could not do our show, you know, we just happened to come into play here right when digital archives mm-hmm. um, have become more accessible, and, you know, so I would say that, again, I'm blessed to have access to a lot of things that I would not have even been able to see had we started some kind of, like, radio show or whatever in Mm -hmm. the 90s about New York City history. It just would have been more difficult to produce this. Yeah, and certainly during the pandemic when libraries were closed or, you you know, you couldn't go in, um, Mm -hmm. we were leaning more heavily into digital archives. I have also found that I will find some obscure old out of print book, or I think it's out of out of print, and then you can actually buy them now. There, there are on demand print services for uh-huh. books. So you can you can also have like a physical copy made of some out of print book. Look, we live in a golden age of both information and misinformation, but we are celebrating the information today. The next question is an email that came from Morgan from Philadelphia. Morgan writes, I'd love to know, what gave you the inspiration to start this podcast in the first place? And what are the ways that it's changed or morphed in the 15 years since you've started it? Well, I'd say, you know, one of the great inspirations was just creating it on the Lower East Side and living in a place that had such profound history all around us. And, you know, if you're even a little bit curious and you live in a neighborhood like that, there's almost like this compelling need to really understand it more. And I think that that's one of the things, you know, that drove us in the direction of doing New York City history. It also just overall made our experience of living here that much better. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that some of the ways that it's changed... But the whole world of podcasting has changed, of course. So the very fact that uh, the listenership really expanded, um, really grew, that had another effect in that it made us more serious about what we were doing. I mean, Mm -hmm. this became a job for us about, what, seven years in. 
so then we knew that for you know financial reasons, we also couldn't screw it up. We, it, we just felt more pressure to produce a better show. And that also meant that we had to do a better job of telling stories. So there's really the way that we feel about the show today and how we put it together and produce it is quite a bit different from how we did it at the very beginning when it was simply a hobby. We put a lot more thought, I think, into every word than, say, that we might have done so like 12 or 13 years ago, where I think the show was a little bit more irreverent, a little bit more rough around the edges. But when we do shows together, it's not necessarily tightly produced, because I think one of the joys of recording this show, you know, continues to be the sort of spontaneity between the two of us. We try to keep it fun. And it should always sound fun, no matter how serious we are. And it's, of course, never going to be without puns. So that's... <laughs> There's no way to turn them off. There were puns in that stupid first episode in <laughs> New York cast, and they shall continue to be puns. Let's go to a voicemail. Hi, Tom and Greg. This is Rose from North Carolina. In what classic, fabulous New York venue would you love to host your next live show and what would be your topic? Thanks. <laughs> I, you know, the venues that pop into my head right now, of course, the King's Theater, which we just talked about in our mm. Flatbush show, Town Hall. I mean, is it possible to dream that we could do a one night only on a Broadway stage one day, Tom? You know, who, how, do, how do we make that happen? Should we call up Hugh Jackman? Just one night. They could just, a Monday night I don't think Hugh Jackman's taking visitors right now. <laughs> okay. Let's give him a little space. Okay. <laughs> dated reference alert. Dated reference. I don't think it's impossible to talk about, to dream of any of those places, Greg. I just think it's so nice to be able to talk about live shows again. At all, yes. We have so much fun meeting listeners at, you know, podcast festivals, at shows at the Historical Society and at the Museum of the City of New York. Of course, the annual Halloween show at Joe's Pub. And we have an upcoming Halloween show that we're mm -hmm. eager to announce for this year. So really, at this point, after the past two years, any venue is fabulous. Give me a thrust stage. Give me a, <laughs> give me a bench in the park. And maybe actually just to throw in one more, how about outside in Central Park sometime for summer stage or something? Oh, yeah. Sounds lovely. And I think that the show we would do live, I guess it would depend on the venue, but I mean, like, wouldn't it be cool to see one of our ghost story shows on a Broadway stage? We'd probably do something with a Broadway theme. Although it could be a whole live show about the history of Times Square or something like that. Rose also followed up with the second question. What historic New Yorker would you most like to interview for the show? So if we could have a seance on the podcast and contact someone from New York City history, who would you like it to be, Tom? The person who came to my mind was Alexander Hamilton. And in fact, <laughs> because... I would actually like to take Hamilton to see Hamilton. I just, I think it would blow everybody's mind. I bet he could score tickets easily, but you never know. He might actually get comped. They might comp him. <laughs> or at least a reduced rate or something. Well, in, in that case, I mean, I think I'd like to sit across uh, from someone uh, like Mae West mm. in the podcast studio. Mm. You know, you adjust the microphone pretty low because she was a, sh a short lady. But, you know, I'd love to hear her, what she would have to say about the year 2022. Why don't you come up and record me sometime? Here's a letter from Kai S. 
First of all, congrats. Second of all, here's a question. What's it like running a famous podcast? I'm sure you guys <laughs> must get recognized a lot around the city by now. Maybe even just by your voices. Oh, Kai. Well, thank you, Kai. But also, in terms of the voices thing, you know, I'll be in a restaurant. You know, maybe I'm talking a little bit too loudly and gesticulating, but someone will come by and, and say, are you one of the Barry boys? So that does happen. And in fact, the first time it happened to Tom and I was a very notable time. It was right after we had just recorded our 100th episode on Robert Moses. Mm-hmm. Tom, do you remember that? Yeah, we were having um, a celebratory cocktail at a bar on 8th Avenue. I believe, right? Sitting in the window. Mm -hmm. But a man walking by came up and said, I'm sorry, I just have to ask you, are you the Bowery Boys? And it made our decade. (laughs) Because, you know, again, that was a long time ago. and You just don't know if people are really listening. So that was was a special moment. There's something that's so abstract about recording a podcast, you know, in the comfort of your own home studio we, we record it together we we edit it we upload it to a server and then it gets sent out and you see that thousands of people download it but you don't see them so mm-hmm. yeah well i'm glad that you get recognized frequently i i i don't really but maybe that's because i don't go out at all anymore the next question is a voicemail from ian hi bowery boys this is ian originally from brooklyn currently living in the bronx And I have a question for you. Of all New York City locations that you have not had the opportunity to visit, what is on that list as number one spot that you still cannot wait to eventually visit? Thanks so much. And uh, here's to many, many more years to come. And Lauren Shaw also left a kind of similar question. What's the most surprising place that you've discovered through hosting the podcast? And any spots or neighborhoods that you now visit regularly but had never been to before researching an episode? Congrats Mm -hmm. on 15 years. I'm going to answer this question two different ways, okay? The first way, places that I love in New York City that have not gotten a sort of proper shake. Or proper attention. Like, so for instance, number one on this list is City Island, which Mm -hmm. is one of my favorite places in New York, but we haven't devoted a show. It's a very particular place, the very interesting history. But Inwood, for instance, you know, we lumped it together with Washington Heights in our Upper Manhattan show, but it's a place I have a deep connection to, and we haven't really given it its due. Same with Carroll Gardens, Cobble Hill. That Mm -hmm. area. Jackson Heights in Queens is another example of a place I love and go to on a regular basis. We haven't really talked about that much on the show. But she's also asking if you now go regularly to any of the places that you hadn't been to before researching. Well, I mean, it does open up the world when you go to a place and mm-hmm. you see it through a historian's eyes, not just as the eyes of a, a resident of the city. Places like Governor's Island, Roosevelt Island, quite honestly, like I go to lower Manhattan and wander around all the time, probably in the same frequency and the same state of mind as a tourist might. So I imagine most people don't look at the city that way. I think that they should. But I know for a fact that the podcast has opened my experiences up 
when I walk around the city. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's transformed the way that we are interacting with the city, right? I mean, two days ago, uh, Greg, we met up in in Chelsea. And as Mm -hmm. I was walking to meet you, I mean, I was like, I was seeing the farm, you know, that we described (laughs) in the show in our recent episode on the history of Chelsea. I was imagining the original London Terrace development, you know, that kind of thing. So I feel like because of the show, I am constantly wandering through like the city in other eras. An email from Joshua Walker. He says, congratulations. What is the longest time it has taken to record one of your episodes? Mm. We can also interpret that a couple different ways. I do know, I can say for a fact that we've actually had to record a couple shows twice in those early days. That's what I'm taking this as. We had made a recording and then it messed up like our because our computers were all really old or our equipment was bad and we had to re-record those. I think it was like the Brooklyn Bridge show was like that. The original Boss Tweed show was like that. Mm-hmm. There was something I think I was talking about St. Mark's Cemetery uh, graveyard at, at some point and it melted down. So there and there have been surprise trips in the middle of a show to Guitar Center to pick up, you know, new <laughs> chords. Our mobile recorder has also gone on the fritz a couple times where, like, the batteries die and we've lost things. So all of that has definitely led to extended uh, production <laughs> schedules. Yes. But we have, for 15 years, really tried to faithfully keep to the release schedule. So even yes. if that means that we're up really late on Thursday night getting it done. We're, you know, we really want it to be in people's feet on Friday morning. And I will add another interpretation of that question. You know, there are certain shows that we've actually been planning for years. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, the recent show on Puerto Rico was, I would say, like three years in the making. Like, I had started research to record that before the pandemic. Part of my notes were already done when I picked that back up. So we have a lot of ideas that gestate for a long time. Hi, guys. This is Chip from Pittsburgh, North Carolina. If you had a do-over, what episode would you revisit and how would you do it differently? And the same question was also asked by listeners Julie F. and Elizabeth of Briarwood, Queens. So do-overs. Yeah. So we kind of unofficially go back to some subjects, right? So we revisit places from different angles. A great example of that recently is my show on the ruins of Roosevelt Island. What Mm -hmm. that show is, is essentially a retelling of the history of Roosevelt Island, but from like one certain perspective. And that's just because you want to keep going with the story as opposed to re-examining how you presented the information in the first place. Early on, I mean, the number one answer for me here, hands down, is a show on Alexander Hamilton, which we we did very early. It is no longer accessible. We don't endorse that show. Um, <laughs> it, it, was just, it was just so early. And it was too simple. And so, you know, that would be an Obvious one. We have to get back and do that. Now, I mean, it seems daunting to figure out how, what would that even be? Like a two-part series, maybe? No, no, no. I think, and listener, please write us and encourage us to do this. I think that the show needs to be about Hamilton Grange. 
that so that's the angle so you take a- alexander hamilton's life but it's through the perspective of like where mm. he was at that time the brooklyn bridge is another example we have something kind of cooking in the works um, yeah. that'll take us back to that spot so yeah a lot of things we would love to redo but as opposed to just going back and just starting over just taking a new angle yeah and you know people asked if we've changed our thoughts on anything i would also like to re-examine how i spoke i won't bring you into this but how i spoke for several years about commissioner robert moses now we can't do this show without bringing up his name so there i just did but i think that i talked about him for years before really grasping the magnitude of his contribution to the city. He is Mm -hmm. clearly controversial. He wreaked havoc on neighborhoods. He was indifferent to community concerns. So I'm not going to be an apologist for him, but he was also transformative in ways that we can hardly even wrap our heads around today. The parks, the bridges, the tunnels, transforming the west side, the highways— the highways that are still the backbone to how we drive around the city today, if you drive. Mm-hmm. And those were like 50 years ago. So he is incredibly complicated. And I think that for a number of episodes, he was used as kind of a punchline. And mm-hmm. that might have just been because it was the easiest way to talk about him. Period. A very similar question from Christopher S. Have you ever found out after a podcast has been released that you've made a factual error? Do you think you need some kind of errata function? (laughs) An errata (laughs) function. This is a family show. (laughs) So there's, I mean, obviously we're human and we do make mistakes. I actually find that our most common mistake is not an actual fact written down wrong, but rather like our mouths don't work right and our brains don't work right. So they come out wrong. So we have- That's called an error. Well, that is an error, but it's a different kind of error than like just say something we researched that was just flat out wrong. Although that that does happen occasionally too. So there's, you know, many different ways. Like we have- corrections on the website we have corrections in the notes of a show Mm -hmm. if it's something that's significant enough we do have the ability to replace it in real time believe it Mm -hmm. or not this is the modern world we live in so like sound files can be slightly edited and, and changed so that is a possibility in our world thank goodness let's move on to stacy hi my name is stacy calling in from new york and my question is how do you research Areas of the city that are not famous. Like, I'm curious about my street, but it's really not known for anything. Thanks for any help you can give. My suggestion, number one, is to go to this app website, Urban Archive. Uh, It's a great... We love them. It's a great resource for just seeing old photographs sort of in on a geographic mm-hmm. map. But that can really wake something up in you. You can, you know, look around, begin doing a little detective work. You also go to the New York Public Library. Its digital collection will give you some clues. The municipal archives mm-hmm. have resources. And frankly, just go get a an account to newspapers.com and you can just search for your address. Mm-hmm. You never know. There's not really ever a boring street in New York no, City. No, there are not. I would also throw out, you mentioned the public library, the New York Public Library, the Milstein Division in particular. They are so knowledgeable. Their archivists and librarians will bring you files if it's a larger street or just any kind of mm-hmm. subject. 
clipping files are just like my favorite thing in the world. So you can sit there and just go piece by piece. Hi, Bowery Boys. This is Savannah from Brooklyn, New York. And I was wondering, after 15 years of doing the show, what does an ideal weekend in New York City look like to the both of you? Thank you. My answer to this is probably the same as it would have been five years ago or even like 10 years ago, going on an incredibly long walk, Mm -hmm. like the kind of walk where like at the end of the day, you want to just cut off your feet because they're so tired, you're so exhausted, almost in pain, (laughs) an incredibly long walk, probably through a mixture of places that I know well and neighborhoods and streets that I don't know well. And just having a whole day, you know, seeing and discovering a new part of the city. And so I still do that. You do it all the time. I do it all the time. Like I did it 20 years ago and I I still do that. I mean, I still think that is the absolute best way of enjoying the city. So a incredibly long walk is my answer. And my answer is um, quite different today than it would have been 15 years ago. Because then I think it was about sort of like you know, activities and like looking in timeout and nightlife and restaurants and and hanging out with friends and bike rides and getaways. Because I have a family now and two small kids, it it involves naps now. Um, (laughs) But we're also starting as a family with kids to do amazing New York-y things, like going to the Museum of Natural History. Uh, My Mm five-year-old son, that is like his favorite place. That is his happiest of happy spots. And also the carousel in Central Park. I'm and honestly, I'm I'm trying to find the right balance as I enthusiastically introduce my kids to New York history. I don't want to overdo it; they might start hating it. And <laughs> but but for the time being, we're safe, and they just want to go anywhere in the city. Hi, Lynn from Michigan. Question is: If it wasn't New York, what other American city? Would you live in and do a podcast? Um, thanks. Oh, Greg. Expansion. Expansion question. Well, look, so so honestly, the answer is like for years, we have dreamt about the idea of doing some, well, there's a few ideas here. One of them is just like the idea of doing a Bowery Boys America show. Just imagine like Tom and I or other additional guests, but it's it's all of the country. It's like the road trip. Yeah, like a road trip kind of show where we're doing Bowery Boys type episodes on things like Mount Rushmore or the St. Louis Arch. So there's that. More specifically, another twist on that would be, you know, to do individual cities, Mm -hmm. just like the Bowery Boys is for New York. In fact, we polled our patrons about a couple years ago and asked them what cities they would like to see. And the top answers were San Francisco and New Orleans. Although, personally, I would love to do a show on Philadelphia. I was just there two weeks ago. It's like my second favorite city. I'm also fascinated with the Ozarks. That's where I was born, southwest Missouri. And it's probably the area of the country that I know as much about as New York City. So, you know, we would love to open it up if we can without losing, you know, without never really leaving New York, of course. So that's Greg's answer. My answer is Paris. Oh, well, that's another that's a third way of going even go larger. (laughs) And finally, we get to Ruta from Greenville, South Carolina. 
a simple question. What is your favorite show? Oof. Well, I would say Twin Peaks, actually. But if you mean of the Bowery Boys podcast. So, Tom, how, how are we going to answer this? Because we have 15 years of shows. I, I don't yeah. think there, I could even... But listen, there's, a, there's always the cop out. They're all our favorite shows. Actually, when we're researching and recording and editing a show, I, I feel like we get so into them, you know, and for two weeks, we're devouring so much information about these topics that in some ways, each one kind of shortly becomes our favorite show. Oh, yeah, that's true. We listen to them so many times. But I think she, she doesn't want that cop out answer. Greg, your favorite show? Well, I'm going to give two answers because there are two different kinds of shows that mm-hmm. we do. You know, there's shows that we do together, and then there's there's solo shows. And mm-hmm. the thought process is very different sometimes for both of those. I'm going to say for my favorite solo show to start that I'm going to go to the Collier Brothers. Mm, that was good. The Collier Brothers. That's episode 280 called House of Mystery. It's a show that actually, uh, this that story really stays with me now in a way that, you know, sometimes we do a show and it's like, well, I don't need to do that again. That's not so (laughs) with the story of the Collier Brothers. It just ties in a lot of different aspects of New York City history that I am still intrigued by. Yeah. Tom, what's your favorite solo show? I have far fewer solo shows. Well, I guess I I do author interviews, but my favorite solo show was probably the Scott Joplin show, Scott Joplin in Mm. New York from 2019, um, from February. And I got to head out to Missouri and go to Sedalia and talk to those people and then to um, St. Louis, but then come back to New York and tell a story of somebody who moved to New York already famous and then died Mm -hmm. forgotten, which is kind of the inverse of what normally happens in the stories that we tell. That was a poignant and special show to me. But in terms of the shows that we've done together... Right. Yes. I mean, I just, I, there's two and I can't narrow them down. And so I'm going to just executive decision that these are going to be tied. Okay. So I, not, again, I don't know if these are our best shows, but they are my favorites when I think back on them. The first one is episode 219, which is Newsies on Strike. Mm. Because I think that is a subject very much in our wheelhouse. I remember us having a ball Mm -hmm. recording that show. Mm -hmm. And it is subject matter that just gives me such pleasure, I must say. It's a great story. And what's the other one? The other one is a little different. That was all in studio. So the other one is a show that was all outside. And that was our show from last year on Fire Island. And that was episode 364. That, we had, it, Greg, you, you're reading my mind. Continue, continue. <laughs> well, we had a marvelous guest, okay? Yes. Like, all of our guests are wonderful, but we had a truly marvelous guest, Parker Sargent, who is a documentary filmmaker, who gave us just the best tour, just the most wonderful day. I mean, I guess it's a beach, so right. that certainly made it, like, more fun and romantic and cheerful than other shows, That one I have to put up there as well. That is episode 364. And I would say, I mean, really, any of the road trip shows that we have been doing together have been my Mm -hmm. favorite because they are so joyful for us to produce. And they're really, they're a flashback to the old days for us, actually, to our old road trips before the Bowery Boys Mm -hmm. when it was just Greg and Tom exploring 
in a car, and Greg would bring along a mixtape and historical printouts <laughs> and, and, and things, you know, sites that we had to hit along the way. And now, really, we get to do the same thing, but with thousands of friends in the backseat. So, friends. Friends in the backseat. Uh, friends in the backseat complaining about our mixtapes. <laughs> and our driving. Uh, and, our, and our driving. Thank you for enduring this trip, <laughs> our 15th annual anniversary special, and being there with us as we you know, look back fondly on our past 15 years and excited about the future and the things to come. We could not still be doing the show without your support, and especially the support of those who have joined us on patreon.com slash Bowery Boys. You know, that was a real moment when we set up that Patreon page and took this sort of leap of faith and went for it in our own adventure in podcasting and thought, is anybody going to really step up and support the show? And if they do, Mm -hmm. we'll be able to make this our jobs. And you did. And we cannot thank you enough because it's still you. Even with the ads that do run on the show, it's still the patrons that are sort of like the backbone of, and the stability mm-hmm. of that monthly support. So thank you so much for being the producers of the Bowery Boys. So onward into the future and to episode 393 and beyond. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. See you real soon. Mm-hmm.